Hello queens, welcome back with You Can Slay That Again. I am your host Cam and we are going in with this beautiful session, episode 25 with Laura Cochran, a holistic psychologist. I've been really intrigued on asking Laura about how to parent your children when it comes to emotions, when it comes to feeling and healing when children go through anxiety in other parts of their life, whether it's even just seeing your children go through them experiencing a divorce. So many questions around this, and I think you guys are gonna absolutely love it. Anyone who is ready to really learn more and from a holistic perspective, what Laura does, this is one episode you're going to absolutely love. Now ladies, book in your free business strategy call with myself, because I love to support your growth in your business. And if this is your calling, this is your calling from the universe right now that Clindon Mentorship is for you. It is a six month incubator to harness queen energy to build success and scale your business. Now let's get into this episode with the beautiful Laura. I am beyond excited, my girl, to have you on here and welcome to this space of magic and flow. My pleasure. I'm so honored that you invited me into this space. I feel anyone that um, is willing and open to learn and hear the message that I want to share is so pivotal pivotal for anyone that it connects with who's listening today. Oh, my pleasure, babe. I, um, I have been through a journey myself with psychologists and when I've met you, you've just got this aura of information and I know there's so much to learn from your own experiences and I want to sort of begin with where I want to go with this because I have so many beautiful clients who have worked with psychologists, have worked with therapists, counselors, they come into my container and heal themselves too. What, what's your, what's your journey like when it comes, when it comes to working with clients that come into your container? Yeah. I mean, it's when I get asked this question, because, you know, often we don't reflect on our journeys, which I want to remind everyone that it's so important to look back at how much you have grown each and every moment. Um, Mine started from a really young age where I felt like I, um, I guess, really just wanted to help people, you know, family, friends, that's how it all started. So I knew from a really young age that I wanted to be a psychologist and how that's played out over time. I now understand why. And, you know, radical honesty here, I wanted to become a psychologist to heal myself through other people, you know, distraction and deflection and all of that beautiful stuff. And I do believe that a lot of healers go into this space because, you know, maybe they felt a lack of care when they were um, younger. It all stems from childhood. Um, So going through psychology and a part of that journey, I became a personal trainer and went into the nutritional space as actually just a monetary value for me to raise my daughter with freedom and flexibility whilst I was studying Um, but now even seeing that part and working with all of these women um, really led me on this holistic path of looking at everything so psychology really just takes you down this path of working with the mind and it really separates you from the body and the soul like the spiritual aspect of it so when I started on this path and had amazing roles within the government and, you know, really, really honored for the spaces that I worked in and the people that I worked alongside of, because I learned so much from them. What I realized was that when we just work with the mind, we really aren't integrating all aspects of ourselves. So, you know, like 
if you're seeing a psychologist and you're just working with the mind specifically, but you're not looking at movement or nutrition and gut health, and then you're not tapping into your intuition, then you're really doing yourself an injustice of not actually healing what needs to be healed. So when I was going down my own healing path and really looking at my own stuff through relationship breakdowns, the frustrations I had as a mom, you know, and raising my children, um, the disconnect I felt from my family, um, just feeling this lack of belonging in the world and always feeling different. Um, and I just really wanted to kind of investigate why I felt that way. So I started to really start to piece the puzzles together. And on that journey, I realized that the space that I was working in in the government, even though I was so grateful for it, it only allowed me to practice in particular ways, which were just the mind. And seeing all of the trauma that these people had experienced in their life really helped me to deep dive into understanding what trauma was and how we all have it on a spectrum. So a lot of us will say, I, I don't have trauma. I had a, you know, beautiful parents and they brought me up really well. And, you know, all of that is really yummy and delicious, but there will be aspects where you weren't seen and heard and accepted for who you are. Um, so then what that does is it disconnects you from your soul, like your purpose on what you came here to do. So from experiencing that and then how trauma actually gets stored in the body, I just went on this huge journey of unraveling all of that. So I became a breath worker, I became a Reiki practitioner, I became a, an emotional freedom technique um, practitioner, which enabled me to work with the energy in the body, as well as, you know, because we have this pre-programming, we still need to work with the mind in the 3D. So this is where I just started to kind of unravel and knew that I had met a pivotal point in my career that I had to branch out on my own. And as scary as that was, 16 months later, I trusted that intuitive pull that my body, again, when we're, when we're, when we're talking about the body, the body will always remind you what you're not in alignment with. It's just connecting back to it, which a lot of us are disassociated with over time. Trusting my body in that moment, even, even though I was terrified as a single mom and had all of these career paths and plans. and um, But I just knew that in that space, I couldn't really fulfill what I knew to be true on healing someone and myself. Um, so my mission was to fully embody everything first. So I definitely practice what I preach. If I'm not in full embodiment of anything, you will not hear me speak a bit. Um, and then from that, I have just seen the phenomenal transformations with the people that I've supported, you know, that have been able to get off medication that hasn't been serving them. And don't get me wrong, medication definitely has its place, but long-term we're still fully disconnecting from our emotions. And what we need to do is to feel it and feel the uncomfortability of the pain and the heartbreak and the grief and the resentment and the anger and all of the things for us to really pull it out at the root so we can actually tap into our prefrontal cortex, which is the conscious part of our brain, um, which unfortunately for the majority of us is only running 5% of the time, which means when you're showing up every day, your decisions and your choices and your path is being made from other people from your environment, from the, the space that you grew up in, you're driven from pain um, instead of passion. So my mission has been to help women specifically to stand in their power, be empowered by the pains of the past and see how it was gifted to them for them to finally heal the wound generationally um, to create the impact that they came here to create. Wow, beautiful. So much is coming up because, you know, 
very similar to, I guess, my story from being a personal trainer going into, well, was actually diagnosed with complex post-traumatic stress. And I'm, I'm working through also the, um, the terminologies and the titles and diagnose and whatnot, right? Yeah. That led me to seeing a psychologist. And I remember there was a lot of talk about the past processes, but there was never this integration of like healing and, you know, using the past as your power and to focus on your conscious awareness and all those things. But it was a pinnacle moment in my life that brought me to becoming a coach, life coach, business coach, looking into NLP, matrix therapy, whole new world. Mm, Amazing. And now in this space of healing and speaking to women and you being a mum, two children, 18 and four. Yes, I do. What was the process like when you had well, I guess your learnings from when you began in the world of healing with your 18-year-old mm. versus your four-year-old. Mm. Yeah, I love this question. Um, I actually get fully activated when I think about it in my body um, because with Elise, I was 21 when I had her and I was so, even though like back then I was, um, I guess, sort of aware, but I was ignoring it, um, you know, because of fear. Um, So the way that I raised her was very different to how I raised my son. Um, And there was a lot of projection of my fear onto my daughter in terms of my emotional experiences when I was growing up. So um, specifically academic. So I had this really cool wound and belief that I wasn't smart enough. Um, And I can see where that came from in my childhood um, and the role models that I had around me and the the lack of self-doubt they had in their own abilities. So obviously I had adapted that into mine. Um, and then I went through the schooling system and it was just so confusing. And I found myself cheating my way through because I wanted to belong to that table of academics that was smart. But what I realized is that I wasn't learning. So then what I did is I created the survival mechanism of taking the quickest route possible to get the A plus and the, you know, that validation that I actually was smart enough, but all it was doing was validating that I wasn't because I knew intuitively and consciously that I actually wasn't putting in the hard work to get there. So when I was raising my daughter, I could see that I was, even though obviously as parents, it comes from such a loving and compassionate space of we just want our children to do so well in life and feel so confident in the skin because I didn't that I pushed a lot of stuff onto Elise like you should get into this sport because I was never sporty because I wasn't confident I was very big busted girl um so I just avoided sport altogether because of the boys and the comments and all of these things so I wanted her to experience sport and to be active and would push her into everything and And then when she went into school, it was like learning your name and meeting these milestones as quickly as possible. And the feedback I would get around that about her walking early and talking early was like just this, you know, I must be doing something right. I must be a good mom. Um, But what I was doing then was I was pushing for that because of the validation that I was getting about the person I was. And then over time, And Elise is so emotionally intelligent. Like if you met her, she's just from another planet. She's an absolute starseed. So is my son. They're both very extraordinary. What I was doing, I was was disconnecting her from her truth and pushing my fears and projections onto her and putting her into a box 
and what that created was a lot of anxiety, a lot of anxiety of her not trusting her own instinct, um, wanting to please me. There was a massive fear of failure, you know, that she still navigates to this day that, you know, thankfully as I've been healing myself and this is, you know, such a beautiful conversation that I want to have with you today is around when we actually do the inner work, our children always calibrate to us. We think we need to be the fixer and have all the snacks in the pantry. And, you know, if they, they, they forget their hat at school, we need to fix it and take the hat in. And we think that is being the best mom possible. And absolutely it is, you know, we're showing that they're loved and that they're supported. But the best way that you can do it is by looking inward at what's going on for you. Because when you actually become the person of confidence and of truth and of honesty, that role models onto your kids. It's never about what you say. And this is what I really, truly started to understand because I would tell Elise, you know, why don't you have some confidence? Why don't you speak up in class? Why don't you ask the questions? Why don't you? But I never did that. I never, you know, challenged anyone if I felt their opinion wasn't the same as mine or I would just sit in the silence of that and let it stew and become resentment within my own body. Um, you know, I wasn't doing the sport. I wasn't applying myself the way I should have been at university. So, but then I expected my daughter to do all of these things. And then I would get frustrated when she didn't. So as the years have unraveled and I've been going on my own healing journey, our connection has just deepened so profoundly because I realized that even though I birthed her, um, doesn't give me the right to put her into a box of where I think she should go in life. So that in itself probably for the last god six years I'd probably say um and more so in the last 16 months since I've stepped right into my own path she has just changed phenomenally like she and her path you know she wanted to become this pediatrician and um did all of the sciences in school but I could see the pressure she placed upon herself and I could see her misery it's like I could feel her pain and she just wasn't a happy kid. And I had just an honest conversation with her and was just like, hey, babe, like, let's talk about school. And why are you doing all of these sciences? I just really want to understand. Um, is it because you want to become a pediatrician? And, and she's like, well, if I'm honest, mom, because then I started to stand in my truth and my honesty. She said, it's so that people can think that I'm smart. And instantly, God, it makes me feel emotional thinking about it. Instantly, I was just like, oh, my God, she's taken on my belief, that belief of not being smart. So in that moment, I said to her, that's actually mine. It's not yours. You know, you are smart. You have applied yourself so in so many ways to show and prove this to yourself. But I feel like you're trying to gain that validation from me because I don't believe it about myself. And what happens in this moment when you you are so vulnerable and open and you communicate so openly with your children, because a lot of us as parents, we try and safeguard our kids from this big world. And it's like, well, you're safeguarding yourself from them going out and experiencing the world because of the potential of what could happen to them. But they're going to go out and experience it anyway. It's about knowing that you can be that safe space for anything for them to come back to at any point in time. That's the most important part. So the more vulnerable, vulnerable I became, the more honest I became, the more radical responsibility I took of the projections I put onto her. She decided she didn't want to do science. She decided she didn't want to be a pediatrician. She's decided now that she just wants to travel and explore the world and who she is and the different cultures. And for me, I was just like, oh my God, like if I could have done that after school, 
that's definitely what I would have done. So for her to stand in that truth and her to feel safe enough to speak to me about that, she has spoken to me about things that I really just don't want to hear. As parents, you just don't want to hear some stuff, you know. (laughs) But it's in that moment when you feel that rage or that resentment or that frustration, like it's it's in your control to hold that space for her to be able or him or your children to be able to express themselves fully and be seen by you without judgment. And then you go away and you deal with your own emotion. Because the last thing I wanted to create for Elise specifically was that she couldn't come to me about anything. You know, if she's like clubbing in the valley and something happens, I want to be that first person. She's like, I need to call mom, you know, or, you know, and and it's even, you know, rippled onto her friendships, which has been amazing. You know, I've had some moms that, you know, are still navigating their own stuff. And they've called me and said, hey, do you mind touching base with my daughter I can see her going through some stuff and I'm like of course and they open up to me to be seen and heard and accepted so it's been beautiful in terms of that Elise trusts me so innately that sort of her friends and the people around her so we have this amazing connection now and what she's journeying through now is profound in terms of a domestic violent relationship that I was going through when I when she was four Mm -hmm. and she is now navigating the wounds from that and you know, a lot of that could have brought up blame and shame and guilt for me as a mom for putting her through that. But it's always trusting that whatever's given to them is for them to evolve more bigger into who they came here to be. And it's having that trust and surrender and also navigating that guilt and resentment and shame that you have and expressing it in its entirety so you can actually heal it yourself. That then when Elise comes to me about this stuff, there is none of that personalization. I know this is happening for her um, and she can speak freely to me about it. So that's been my journey with Elise. Um, With my son, obviously, the 13-year gap has been very different. And for me, especially with him being a boy, it's always been about him expressing his feelings. Um, And I know this is really difficult for a lot of men and women in society, but specifically men that they get taught this masculine and, you know, hide your emotions and and entrap it all. But often it just then, you know, unravels into rage and anger when they're older and dysregulation. So the way that I raise Lockie very differently to Elise is I allow him to just do what he wants to express himself the way he expresses himself to feel into his feelings all of the time. You know, his bedroom is his safe space to express fully. And I always leave the door open and I always say, I'm happy to stay in here with you. Did you want me to? And he says, no, or he'll say, yeah. And I'll just honor whatever he says. Um, And even in that, you know, that scenario has brought up a lot of stuff for me of, am I doing the right thing? Am I not? You know, when he's punching the couch and I'm like, it's all right, but he just let it out. And I'm like, am I teaching him to just go around punching couches? But after like a minute of expressing that, he just fully regulates himself. And he's never done that since. So it's the stories that we create in our minds about what looks good to society and the judgment we place on ourselves as moms that we then dim the light in our children. Um, So it's actually being okay with allowing them to be who they are in their fullest expression without us projecting and boxing them in because that's basically what causes the disconnect and I'm not sure about you tomorrow but I know for me I've only just started unraveling this in my 30s and I'm like god if I can help my four-year-old to just be who he is and be independent and make his own choices and have free will um you know and, and I can imagine a lot of parents out there and I was speaking to a client just before this 
she was like, oh, but what about boundaries? And how do you teach them to have, you know, a commitment in life and to be driven in life? But basically when we unpacked it, that was her stuff because she was so afraid of judgment. She goes 110% because she's so confined by judgment. And again, she's projecting that onto her kids because she doesn't want them to feel that judgment ever. So it's really getting honest and aware about why am I feeling this in this moment? Why am I wanting to rage at Elise for emptying the bins and not putting the bin bag in the bin? Um, and it was all about me, like not being or supporting her or being the best mom that I thought I could be or teaching her how she should be in the world. But it's again, it's not by saying, it's by being. And the more that I become it, the more that I see them become themselves. And that's that beautiful journey that we go on. I don't have kids myself, but all those pieces you were talking about, I think back to my own upbringing, my, my mother in, in any moment of protecting me from the world, you know, mm. or educating me on, you know, not showing people emotions, don't let people know what you're going through. And it's really incredible to hear this because she only knew what she knew best at the time. And for of you your journey through two age differences yeah huge I um I speak about this specifically because I have clients who have children going through anxiety mm. and what you were saying before it's about you regulating yourself you working through the emotions to feel it so that they then feel their anxiety or they feel or are allowed to express yeah sometimes from my clients experiences they don't their children don't know what they're feeling yeah they don't know it's anxiety and the minute the parents you know worry about it start asking other people what to do you know it creates almost like this scarcity to the child of course what steps or processes can you give mums actually parents when when kids are facing anxiety mm. I it's such a great question for me I started especially with the young kids emotion cards with Lockie mm -hmm. so he learned from a very young age I think he was two on what anger was what the face looked like what sadness was and it, he just saw it as a game but really it's really him understanding his emotions and possibly other people's emotions. So it started from a really young age, but in terms of anxiety, what I would actually encourage people to do is not label, mm. you know, anxiety has been this universal thing of, and it just instills so much fear. Um, and, you know, it's actually just explaining to the children and getting them to be aware of the feeling in the body, not giving it a label such as anxiety, but, you know, like, what are you feeling? Is it in your belly? Like I, you know, I've spoken to Lockie about this since, God, he, he was really young. I mean, great. He's, he's nearly five now. So he articulates so well, but he'll tell me it's like a tightness in the throat or it's a pain in his belly or his head hurts. It's not, you know, us thinking, oh, he has anxiety. It's just an emotional or some stress or pressure that he's feeling. But what I realize, and specifically with Lockie is, you know, I've never been this parent that I've felt has safeguarded my children overly because I want them to express in the world. I want them to explore the world and become adventurers and feel safe. So I've never really kind of like when he's climbed a wall, gone, oh my God, be careful and all of that kind of stuff. 
But for some reason, he just had this attachment to me and this safety thing. Like he was afraid of exploring and he was afraid of going down the big slide and he was afraid of all of these things. And I was just like, I don't understand like why he's so afraid. And that could be classified as anxiety. You know, if you looked at it from the classical diagnosis, he's not feeling safe in himself, he's attached, you know, anxiously attached is what they would probably have referred him to if I went to someone to get him labeled. Um, but what I actually realized when I was like, why I don't understand, you know, he'd go to the toilet, he was terrified of going to the toilet. He couldn't, I couldn't go to the shower and shower for two minutes without him being there. And, you know, it brings up so much fear of like what is going on with them. But what I actually realized was that it was actually mine. Mm-hmm. Um, I had this massive fear of losing him, huge fear of losing him. And this came from um, a lot of stuff that was going on pre my pregnancy. And then during my pregnancy, there was a lot of kind of dysfunctional stuff going on with my um, ex-partner and his family. And there was this lack of sense of protection that I felt. And I I felt like what I did, uh, you know, I'm talking about epigenetics, how we can download our stuff to our babies in utero is that I gave him this sense of he needs to protect me in some way for one and then once he was born, I then became overly protective of, you know, he's, um, I don't want anyone to hurt him because of the pain that I'd gone through in my pregnancy. I didn't want him going to these specific family members. There was, there was a lot of stuff that I had to work through and now I'm so grateful for it. And he has an amazing relationship with my ex-partner's family. Um, but I realized that it was still a thing within me that I was so afraid of losing him. So I had to feel the depths of that fear. Um, and then amazingly, when I shifted that and what I mean by feeling it, it's like, you have to grieve it because if you were constantly walking around with fear and this wound within you, which had nothing to do with Lockie, it was from previous, but if you're walking around with that wound all the time, it's constantly meeting you in your reality. So you're living in this state of fear all the time, which is so toxic to the body, it causes so much inflammation and you know, acidity and all of that, you know, stuff um, that really isn't great for us to function well in the community. And then when I actually went into that and it was layers, you know, I didn't just go into this full grieving process. It was layers of it because it was really confronting to do that. Um, I now have seen a huge shift. He'll play with himself in the toy room. He takes himself to the park and will walk away from me. He'll look back, but he goes on the slide And this is what the important part is, is that our kids actually reflect back our own feelings. Kids, when you see them, like when they're born, just like we were, we were so intuitive, we're just energetic beings, so conscious, you know, we're just so inquisitive and we want to explore the world and we're just so full of love and purity and innocence. Mm -hmm. And the conditioning from ourselves and the environment is what then conditions them to create these stories and these beliefs within themselves. So it's actually up to us, like my objective and, you know, for anyone listening to this, it's entirely how it feels for you. But my objective is to pull out my wounds at the root so that my children and anybody around me energetically can feel free in themselves. So I know the more that I do the work on myself, it's an inward journey. You know, we can do all the personal development and the professional development and learn all the logistical stuff. But a lot of it is actually unraveling all of that and coming back into the body. Um. So I know from me processing that, that Lockie actually feels a lot safer in himself because he doesn't feel this fear that I have that I've never spoken of, but he feels it from me. So he needs to feel safe next to me. He needs to protect me and all of these stories that he's taken on. 
Um, and then another part of that, you know, when we're talking about how to really understand children and their emotions is having conversations with them. You know, we think that they're too young to understand, but the other day, Lockie came home and like I said, he's four and he's like, oh, mom, I just want to know how to stop these um, voices in my head. And instantly, instantly my story, you know, with a psychologist background with schizophrenia, bipolar, like all of this stuff came up. Like my ego was just full in fear. And then I was like, Laura, like, just hold on a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just said, oh, explain to me what's going on. And he's like, well, I get this thought in my head and then it goes into my heart and then I feel it in my body. And then I understood that they were learning about this from kindy, which opens up such a beautiful conversation, but it's not about us telling them we have to get curious because we're projecting our own stuff onto them when they're like, oh, I feel scared or I feel nervous or I feel whatever the feelings are that are completely normal. We then go, oh my God, they've got anxiety. Oh my God, they're depressed. Oh my God, because it's our fears. But if we actually just get curious and allow them to be seen and heard in that moment and normalize what they're feeling is normal, And if they're feeling anger or they have this feeling in their chest, you know, to express that. And if there's sadness or anger or however it may be to normalize it, we don't make it wrong. Mm. And then they don't repress it in their bodies. They actually feel free enough to express it and safe enough to express it. And it doesn't become this pressure put in their little, their little vessels anymore is what I've found anywhere with my children. It's such a beautiful thing hearing that on how he just expressed his his fears and feelings to you. Yeah. That's just so powerful. And a lot of the times, and I actually I would love to know more on this because you are a single parent too. Mm. Um, a lot of my clients are sort of facing between um, almost like a battle between do I allow my children to see their other partner, even though that person is not a good figure for them? Yeah. Um, is a good parent, mm-hmm. may not be a good husband or a good partner or has had a past. Mm. What's the what's the right thing to do? Is there even a right or wrong thing to do? Is it yeah. based on each individual? Yeah, I think it comes down to you actually um, getting super honest with the reason why you're keeping your children at bay or putting a boundary there. Is it really because you believe they're not a good dad or was it because of the way they treated you in your relationship? Are we talking about like separation here? Is that what you mean in like an ex-partner? Yeah. yeah. So for me, for example, like when I separated from my ex-partner, like he's an amazing dad. And um, for me, it's it was never around... Um, keeping the kids from him like I would never do that but I did from his family um, because of how they made me feel and the pain that I felt and I never wanted my children to ever experience that so even though logically they would never harm them physically um, or emotionally but they, they were very opinionated people and you know there was always the news playing and I remember my daughter coming home and talking about ISIS and planes missing from the sky when she was eight and I was just like oh my god these aren't conversations that we really should be having so I guess I was protecting the kids from that stuff and um their opinions on me I didn't want the kids to hear that either because they're very openly spoken and I didn't want the children to um feel the uncomfortability of that or to get an opinion of me that wasn't true but again that was me controlling and manipulating um which are two very ugly emotions to 
you know, admit to, but the shadow versions of us, we've all got them. But the moment you can actually see that and be like, I'm actually trying to control this situation here. How real is it that my children are in danger, you know, physically, emotionally, mentally? Um, you know, what are they like as people? And, you know, as much as I've got wounds with um, Ben's family, like they're actually really great to grandparents. Um, so it's like, well, okay, if they do express things about me around the kids, my fear was that my kids would get that opinion of me. Um, but then I was like, my kids know who I am and I need to be okay. And again, that was just another wound that came up for me, about my, me not being good enough, me not being a good mom. Um, but that just came back to me navigating through that. So when Ben asked if he could, and he was always really respectful, he asked me if he could um, take them over to, and it was like the third time I'd said no, and I thought, God, I'm just going to have to feel this. I'm just going to have to feel this grief or this fear that I've got about my children going around there. And the moment that I allowed myself to go there and express it, like the anger that I felt towards his family, um, I actually healed a lot more than that. There was just so much compassion on the other side about how if I'd have never met them, I would have never healed the part of me that I needed to heal or met Ben or, you know, had my beautiful children. It just allowed me, again, the prefrontal cortex, the consciousness, it allowed it to expand and take away from the fears that I had because when we have all of this emotional repression in our body, our minds just can't function properly. You know, and this might resonate with people if you're foggy, if you've got memory loss, if, you know, you just get from A to B and you have no idea how you got there, you're really running from subconscious patterning. Um, and what we want to do is we want to come back into the consciousness because that's when we're so present and so regulated and aware and we can make decisions that are based on what feels right for us, not everybody around us. So in terms of, you know, I can't relate in terms of having a partner and having some you know, disconnect there, but there definitely could have been a lot of resentment between me and Ben, but I just was willing to heal it. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't willing to use that as a decoy for the children, because that's what harms them the most. Mm -hmm. They still need mom and dad in their life for that balance, you know, as long as they're safe physically, and there's nothing, you know, bigger. And that would be something that I would absolutely get advice on further, if that's something that you're navigating through. But if it's because you were hurt in that relationship or you were, you know, you suffered heartbreak and pain, that's yours. That's yours really to look at and not to project onto the kids because it's the kids that then suffer from that and have to then unpack that later on in life would be my advice. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, as again, everything you're saying, it makes me reflect on, you know, having a father not present and after yeah. me. And I do believe, as I said, though, it's brought me to wanting to really, and I do have a family one day and, you know, have that beautiful balance and relationship. Like, mm. you know, based on what I've been through, I can change that. Absolutely. Yeah. And talking about mum guilt or <laughs> prioritising yourself, how important is it? to to put yourself first as a mum yeah so important um you know and this was a massive thing for me you know just even two years ago people would say to me like do you ever stop Laura like you're always busy you're always doing things for the kids you're running around everywhere 
Um, but that was because there was guilt there on my part of the choices that I may have made or again, the pain that I don't want them to feel. I don't want them to feel that I was never there for them or that I didn't support them or I didn't, you know, meet their emotional needs in some way. But again, that's because I didn't feel like mine were met. Um, but when we actually, you know, and I've spoken so much into this on Instagram and my stories recently, and it's really hard to wrap your head around the fact that when we actually show up for ourselves first, how much of service and energy and love we can give to those around us. We're just so busy pouring from an empty cup because we're so busy distracting from our emotions that we can't actually be present with people, which means that you're actually being a disservice. And this is with the children too. You know, so if you're not able to be present with the children, there's something there that the kids are actually triggering off in you, whether it's a wound within you where your parents weren't present, you know, and this was something else that I navigated through with the client. She's like, I get so triggered when, you know, her her little boy is nearly two, I think, um, when he's playing and he asks me for things and I just get so frustrated. She's like, but I realize it's because no one actually did any of that for me. So I'm like, of course, I want to give him everything that he wants, but there's something within me that thinks, why should I give it to you? Nobody give it to me. And that's the inner children stuff. And because our children bring this stuff up, it's an opportunity for us then to go in, go inward and actually heal that and meet our inner kids, you know, that is still wanting their needs to be met, but we keep meeting them with distraction or we keep trying to fill the void through a relationship or you know, or alcohol or substance or some form of addiction in some way to escape that feeling where it's like, if you actually just sat in the uncomfortability of it and felt what came up, the frustration, the anger, the resentment, the, the, whatever the sadness because of the abandonment or the rejection that you felt, um, you're, you're allowing yourself to heal that wound finally. And then you can have that connection because that's where the guilt comes in. It's like, you want to show up in one way, but you know, you're not fully doing it. And it's like, we'll get curious about why you aren't fully being that present mom that you know you can be because kids don't want quantity time they want quality you know half an hour to a kid feels like a lifetime and they want you to be fully present not scrolling on your phone not doing the dishes while you're chatting to them like fully present and that's something that I've found quite hard to navigate having an 18 year old and a four-year-old is like trying to listen to the gospel coming from my teenager of her days at school and her boyfriend stuff and then I've got my four-year-old crying for attention and wanted to play with play-doh you know, so it's really getting super grounded in those moments when you're feeling like you're being pulled left, right and center. And I never always have it right. And, you know, it's remembering that there is no right. It's just exactly the way it needs to be. And you're doing the best that you can. Um, but the guilt of not, you know, showing up in the way that you should be is often related to the fact that you're actually self-abandoning yourself, not showing up for you first, because then that shows your children how to show up for them as well. Completely, babe. Um, going back to the feeling each emotion in totality for us to feel and heal through it. To yeah. I asked this to Krista and I'm going to mm. ask to you, how do you know when you've felt it? And it's like, okay, done. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love this question actually, because I just was speaking to a client about it because she went into this grieving phase. Um, I was so proud of her actually. It's taken her about a month to actually face it which was beautiful um and the way that I explained it is that I just feel it and it might be different for everybody else but I feel it in my body if it's not complete so I still feel like this tightness in my solar plexus or I still feel this heaviness in my chest or the lump in my throat it's not as intense but I still feel it a little bit and then what I choose to do in that moment because obviously you don't feel like you want to cry anymore you don't feel angry 
So you could just kind of like, why am I still feeling this in my body? And the ego will pop pipe in and try and protect you and distract, pick up your phone, go get some food, go to the toilet. And in that moment, you just need to choose to keep going. So I will pick up the pillow again and I'll keep, you know, going on the pillow or screaming into it. And then the wave of emotion comes up again. I just keep going and going and going until it shows itself because you're talking about really deep layers that you've never actually fully expressed. And then once I've done that, I actually get that sense of, oh yeah, I know it's gone. Even though I can still feel like residue of it, it's a knowing that I'm actually complete now. And then it takes about a day of integration and you're a bit tired. And But honestly, like since I've been doing this work, um, you know, the whole feeling to heal, um, everything just in my life is just, I can't even explain it like the opportunities, the conversations, the connections, the depth within my relationship with my partner, my children, even my mom, my dad, my brother, like the whole thing is just completely unfolded. So that's what makes me drive harder to keep healing myself because I know in turn I'm healing them that come into contact with me. I can relate the same, right, babe? Like this journey that you and I are both on to, you know, feel and heal it's so right. Like you start to have things coming up around you. Conversation yeah. becomes so rewarding, so full of love. And one of my biggest mantras this year have been leading with love. Yeah, I love that. Um, you know, you yourself being in a relationship now, what's been new with this that you you really want to navigate through this beautiful new relationship? Well, I, wouldn't, I don't even know if it's a new relationship. I just assume. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, it's new ish. It's like it's a year actually. next month yeah um yeah my new relationship has been a journey um a beautiful journey I've tried to exit it a few times through fear because I was always the one you know in the whole of my life actually to exit every one of my relationships and this was that fear of abandonment and rejection so if there was to leave first I didn't want to feel that Um, But I didn't realize this in my previous relationships. It was only with Sam that I've had this awareness around why am I actually trying to run? Like what, what is going on here? Um, And it's, you know, the, the healing in that relationship itself, because there's so much healing in relationships, because it's just like you're facing off with yourself every single day is um, the vulnerability that I've been able to sink into, the openness in my heart. Even when I've wanted to contract and close down, I feel it. Um, And I choose to stay open in each and every moment. The conversations that we have and the understanding how um, the masculine works on a biological and genetic level to really understand when he needs space and why he needs space. And it's not that he's abandoning me or rejecting me. It's, you know, it's just all of the things. And then learning about the feminine and how I actually respond in you know, conflict or what space I need or how to increase my oxytocin levels, just taking radical responsibility of my own happiness and realizing that my partner doesn't actually give that to me. He's just like the icing on the cake, you know, that I am actually the one that's in control of my happiness. And even though sometimes it's frustrating because I'm like, well, if he just bought me some flowers or if he just left me that little note, I'd feel so much better this morning. But it's witnessing that, you know, I think I was mentioning it to Chris this morning about, oh, he's not been doing this for a while and I'm not liking it. Um, but again, it's, it's about that complete ownership of your happiness is yours. And if you can keep sinking into that joy and that happiness and healing that part of you that feels like you're not deserving of it, all of that becomes a byproduct anyway. Mm-hmm. It's us that's in the way of feeling it and receiving it. And that was my thing in previous relationships. And I think 
this is the beauty in my relationship with my ex-partner as well, the father of my children, is the conversations that we have and the vulnerability and the ownership of how I played my part in that relationship as well has allowed us to co-parent on such a deep level that if there's something going on with the kids, he's the first person that I speak to and I'm like, we need to work as a team here, let's do it. And we work so well together, but that's taken healing and vulnerability and ownership on my part instead of projection and hate and blame because I thought he didn't love me which is my story my belief from my dad you know so it was actually me I remember having the conversation with him and saying I have to apologize because I actually have realized that I've never fully opened my heart to you so you never actually had a chance with me um, and it's really confronting and emotional to say, and you can go into blame and shame and resentment. And, you know, if I had just opened my heart back then, would it have even happened? But the memories and the beauty that I've shared with him um, is something that I would never change. But it's also knowing when your journey has ceased and you need to carry on and grow beyond that. Um, because, and that's what I, I felt in that moment was the disconnect. But again, the beauty is when I've continued healing, he's continued healing, which has been amazing for the kids. Um, and then obviously when I've met Sam, um, he's just completely opened me, um, in a very scary way, but in a very beautiful way at the same time, because then you're open to all, um, experiences in life, then in business, in your children I didn't realize how closed off my heart was within my children because of the fear of loss um so then you're not fully really allowing yourself to feel the love from them or anyone around you when you're closed off to it so that has been the journey for me in this current relationship and I'm yeah so grateful for it God when you started expressing about your past with your dad and previous relationship I I got goosebumps because yeah as you explained so well, babe, like the minute you open your heart, you start to see things that you probably didn't see in the past. Yeah. And one of the things I did not long, not too long ago when I have been working with Christopher so long, something came up that I realized there was responsibility. I played in a part mm. in previous relationships I was in. Mm. And it was actually a beautiful moment of apologizing to him, even though you know, we're not together anymore but both with different partners. It was that responsibility and ownership because I have I opened my heart and saw yeah. that it wasn't just him. Of course. So it's beautiful. Yeah. Just stunning. So healing, isn't it, when you can actually, and I think that's the thing that I just, you know, as you would, it's just empowerment. It's so empowering when you can just see your side and how you played a role and, you feel so much more in control of your future and your awareness and your decisions and how you want to show up in a new relationship because, you know, my patterns of relationships just weren't great. I was just always trying to exit or seek emotional validation elsewhere and um, because I just longed to have this validation and love from my dad who's never actually verbalized it to me. Beautiful man and I love him to death. Um, but never verbalized that he loves me. So I created this story that men just don't love me and they're not lovable and I'm not lovable and whatever the story was. Um, but even in that, I can feel like the more that I heal that, the closer I get to my dad. And now he hugs me and he's never hugged me like he hugs me now. You know, so it's like that closeness. And it's, again, that healing aspect when you actually heal that part in you, um, you see it changing in other people and it's really you taking the responsibility of, okay, what is it that I'm in control of in my life? And the only thing you're in control of is you. 
solar, your emotions, your feelings, your behaviors, it's all you. So it's actually having an open lens and an openness and willingness to not blame and shame everybody else because it's so disempowering and coming back into yourself and being like, okay, what do I hold responsibility for and how can I feel empowered in this moment? And there's no better feeling, to be honest, no better feeling. What I love what you just said is the moment you focused on healing, you started to see the shifts and patterns change in all relationships that started mm. to get better. It just yeah. to show there's no time frame of like a deadline. I mean, obviously <laughs> we want to heal as soon as we can, but it just doesn't <laughs> show like there's an 18-year-old, there's a four-year-old, there's your father, there's Sam, there's Ben, there's been all these people around you. Yeah. Just felt you heal and it's enabled you to heal relationships all. Yeah, it's phenomenal. And there is, that's the thing, like there is, we, there's platforms that we can land on, but then you get the itch and, you know, you have to move again. Um, But it's just the ego mind. It's just the way the mind is formed. It's a survival organ. It doesn't like uncomfortability. It wants to be the most comfortable thing. You know, if you could just get from bed to toilet all day long, your mind would love that because it's the safest place ever. So, you know, for what, for anyone that's listening that, you know, has tried the quick fixes and gone to one therapy session or one this and one that, and you haven't felt that resolve, it's because it's a journey. Um, And it's actually being completely comfortable with the uncomfortability. I think what we've taught ourselves, you know, from God knows how long it's been is that we have to be so comfortable, you know, air conditioning, you know, plush mattresses in the bed. You know, back in the day, we were probably sleeping on rocks in the cave. Who knows? No shoes, no clothes. You know, we we knew how to manage uncomfortability very well back then, but we've taught ourselves that it's actually so uncomfortable to be uncomfortable that we don't actually know our bodies don't know how to understand it and regulate it. And then our mind goes into, oh my God, she's feeling threatened. So we're just going to avoid and distract or fight or flee or appease everybody's needs. You know, and this is where the whole journey starts. And it's like, well, if you can actually be okay with constantly pushing, constantly challenging yourself, driving forward towards what you know that you feel is right, but is terrifying, that's where all the magic is. It's like, that's where all of the answers are that you actually want to know. Mm. Embrace discomfort and fear has been a big thing. Oh God, it's huge. It's still so uncomfortable. Yes. (laughs) I just navigate it a lot more with a lot more grace these days than I did before. I um I have to say this because um the minute you know naturally there is something arising that is scary, I instantly just go, all right, come here, I'm ready for you. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same. I fully surrender now. Um, and just make sure it's not driven from that space of like, is it validation? Am I seeking something external to myself? And just to really tune in on, does it feel aligned for me? Even if, even if it's not logical or makes any sense, does it feel good in my body? And this is the importance of when we feel the emotion is that you tune back into your, your inner knowing, the best compass you can ever follow. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, it doesn't mean it's easy, um, but you don't grow in easy and we're we're all limitless you know we're all limitless and we just can find ourselves with the stories that we play in our minds each and every day and if you can just break free from that you will be amazed at your potential how I want to sort of navigate this (laughs) flow and end if you were to give you know your top five 
pieces to anyone that is on a journey of healing that have yeah. come into you know whether it's getting off medication whether it's um you know embarking on new emotions that they've suppressed whether it's parents single parents people wanting to find love what would be the biggest five things you'd love? oh wow um one would be getting super aware of your thoughts and feelings mm-hmm. um so you know creating more space for awareness so like I mentioned earlier if you're running subconsciously 95 percent of the day that doesn't create much time for consciousness and awareness so if you can actually just come back into a space of why am I feeling this way why am I thinking them things just use curiosity as a navigation portal um, that would be one aspect number two would be stillness um and I don't mean guided meditation I don't mean walking and looking at the trees I mean really just sitting with yourself like sitting with yourself and how I did this is I started with just five minutes of silence with my eyes closed and just surrendered to the uncomfortability and whatever came through for me um you get so many messages when you create that space in your mind um to receive whatever's meant for you um so that is a beautiful practice that I use number two is dance Mm -hmm. um so feminine stepping into your femininity getting out of the structure the routine the push the masculine we need to sink into our feminine and flow with life I was like that too I still am sometimes (laughs) um that (laughs) yes I love that um that would be another one another one would be obviously feeling the feelings when they come up and if you don't have space to do it in the moment you can actually revisit them even if they feel like they're not there anymore they still are they're still in the body um so you can do a visualization around whatever it was that triggered you take yourself back to that point and release it to its entirety um and number five but I could keep going maybe I should do a list actually really good (laughs) it's a really good practice I was like maybe people need to hear more of this um and number five is like just complete trust Mm -hmm. uncomfortable but complete trust that you know, if you can feel a disconnect from someone, you let them go and know that if they're meant to be in your life, they will be. Complete trust in your truth and what you're standing for. Complete trust in your mission in life and what you want to create while you're here, regardless of the judgment and fears and projections from everybody else, including family. Um, just really trusting yourself um, and coming back into your body and finding home. Laura, I <laughs> one question right that was amazing I should have said 10 (laughs) that was my begin with five um there's one question that I always end the episodes um, with anyone that comes in and that is what does slay mean to you slay oh it's a bit of a sexy word Uh. (laughs) (laughs) um Gobble. When I actually picture the word slay, I'm just going because I'm such a visual person. I picture, you know, like Wonder Woman mm. in the leather, like skirty, sword up in the air, like so certain and powerful and ready just to not attack per se, but to charge towards whatever it is she needs to charge towards is what's coming through for me when you say the word slay. You're a Wonder Woman yourself. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.
I love where can everyone find you what's coming up for you this is your opportunity to share all of that yeah amazing um the main platform that I share on is on Instagram at her successful mind um, I give so much value in them spaces on reels um, sometimes do free master classes so jump over there and make sure you absorb all of the information that I give um and yeah like I do have Facebook but I would say Instagram is the best platform to reach out to me and I love connection so please ask questions you know be vulnerable connect with me um, I'm here for you guys so yeah just reach out get curious on getting to know her that's been yeah for today hasn't it yeah I love it I'm always about curiosity. My pleasure, beautiful. Thank you so much for having me. Mwah. <laughs>